Please turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, we are continuing to celebrate the Lord's resurrection this morning. We're looking at a passage that deals with the Lord's resurrection and our own as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I'm going to allow you to remain seated this morning as we read some of this text this morning. The main applicational verse that I want us to come to this morning is verse 58, but before we come to there, we go through the entire, uh, as you're, if you're reading through it on your own, you go through the entire chapter of, of, of 15 in there in 1 Corinthians, and you see Paul talking about Christ's death and resurrection, and you see him talking about our death and resurrection, and we come to this in verse, I'll, I'll begin in verse 53. Paul writes, for this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 58, the the main verse that I want us to to meditate upon, Paul brings this discussion of the resurrection to culmination here in verse 58. And he writes, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord Your labor is not in vain. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the fact we have the ability to go to it and and learn about you and know you. And we pray that you'd give us the grace to be obedient to you. You'd give us the grace to, to walk in the new life you've promised us. We pray that you'd give us the ability to tell others about this life that we have in your Son, Jesus. We pray that you would give us a great day of worshiping you. We pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. A few months ago, I was listening to a segment of a Radiolab podcast dealing with, with butterflies. The producer, Molly Webster, was going to different locations and, and learning about butterflies. And I, I'm assuming this morning that, that you know the basic story of, of a butterfly. We've all read The Very Hungry Caterpillar, I'm sure. You, you know that the story of The Very Hungry Caterpillar is, is not about an earth-moving company trying to gain market share. It's not that type of hungry caterpillar. It's a, a story about a, a caterpillar who eats its way through the various pages of the story and then forms this uh, hardened shell around itself, this chrysalis, and then emerges from the chrysalis to, to be this, this beautiful butterfly. That's the story of a butterfly. You kind of know that process. So in this Radiolab episode dealing with, with butterflies, they, they talk about this, this, form of, this, this form, formative time inside that chrysalis and, and what takes place. And the assumption that I always had is that a, a, a butterfly would would uh, go into that cocoon, or the caterpillar would go into the cocoon and, and would slowly kind of like grow butterfly wings and, and things like that. And, and in reality, what takes place is that, that this, this producer found out, she, she went to this butterfly farm and found a chrysalis and, 
and opened up a one-day chrysalis, and, and she didn't find a caterpillar saying, hey, please, a little privacy here while I you know, grow my caterpillar wings and stuff. What, what did she find as she opened up that one-day-old chrysalis? It was basically full of white goo. The caterpillar goes into this chrysalis, this, this hardened shell, and dissolves. Muscles and tissues and, and all that stuff dissolve into this, this white goo, and everything is reformed inside there to become this, this butterfly. What she also found, is, as she went through and, and, and looked at this, this study on, on butterflies, she found that, that these, uh, these, these caterpillars, as they, as they go through this process, even though there's this, this radical transformation of, of changing from a, a butterfly into a caterpillar, even though there's this, this incredible transformation, at the same time, at the same time, there's some parts of the caterpillar that make it into the butterfly stage. In fact, she talked about this one researcher who, who went and, and, and took these, and if, if you really like caterpillars, uh, you might want to kind of tune out here for a moment, but uh, they, they took these, these caterpillars and they exposed them to this plant smell that normally the caterpillars didn't care one way or the other about, and exposed them to this, this plant smell, and as the sorry, as they exposed these caterpillars to the plant smell, they would, they would zap them with these little caterpillar shocks. I don't know. And, and you know, the caterpillar would, would do things caterpillars do when they get shocked. Well, then the caterpillar is exposed to this plant smell, would get shocked, and then uh, forms the chrysalis, comes out a butterfly. And these butterflies, after going through that, you know, transformation, the goo and being reformed, they would hate the smell of that plant still. So, so something about the caterpillar stage had, had made it into the butterfly stage. I, I think in that there's a, a, a beautiful picture, right? I, I think there's some beautiful imagery that, that helps us see some things about our, our own transformation that needs to take place. You see, you and I are, are right now in, in bodies that will not make it into eternity. There are things about our, our current bodies that are, are decaying, and, and uh, you know, I didn't uh, mean for this to be an illustration, but, but earlier in the week, I, uh, I, I cut my, myself shaving. And this morning, as I'm, as I'm singing here just a few minutes ago, I'm like, huh, my face itches. And I started scratching, and I realized, oh no, I've just picked a scab off my face on Easter Sunday right before I'm going to preach, okay? This body is decaying. It bleeds, all right? And so if I disturb you and my face looks weird, I'm more conscious than you about it, all right? (laughs) This body isn't going to make it. This body bleeds. This body, I I turn my ankles. And and you, some of you, as as you've aged, you realize more and more this body has a shelf life to it. Something radical is going to have to take place to this body for it to be prepared for heaven. And yet at the same time, even though the body that you're sitting in that chair right now in isn't prepared for eternity, there are parts of you that are going to last for eternity. They're going to last on into beyond what our minds can comprehend in terms of time. There's parts of you that are going to last forever, even though they're not the parts of you that you can touch and feel and 
and, and see. This morning we're talking about the resurrection. Not just the resurrection of, of Jesus, but, but how as we think about Jesus' resurrection, it, it gives us an understanding of, of what's going to take place in our own resurrection. And, and we're going to think about our, our own resurrection and our resurrected bodies and ask ourselves, okay, one, how can I know that I am going to be resurrected? How can I know that, that eternity is awaiting me? And then secondly, what does that do for me now? If it's true that, that there's a coming resurrection and I'm going to receive a, a new body and, and all these things are going to take place, what does that mean right now in my present? How does that transform me at, in this moment? And what I want us to see is this idea. This is kind of the, the, the sentence I want us to think about as we think about the resurrection on this Easter Sunday, okay? Here's the statement. Because there was a past resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because there was a past resurrection, we have confidence that there will be a future resurrection, our resurrection, and that transforms our life right now in the present, okay? Because there was a past resurrection, we have confidence that there will be a future resurrection, and that future resurrection transforms our life in the present. I live in a different way right now in the present because I believe in a future resurrection. That's the idea I want to explore with you this morning as we think about the resurrection. And, and 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight brings it all together, okay? So we're going to kind of talk about each of those kind of ideas, the past, the future, and the present, and then kind of culminate in the, the, the present with some things I want us to think through. So let's talk about that first idea this past resurrection, because there was a past resurrection, that's the first thing I want us to think about this morning. Paul, as we look earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, at the very beginning of 1 Corinthians 15, he, he, he tries to help his readers understand how important this past resurrection is. He begins 1 Corinthians 15 saying, look, I want to remind you of the gospel, the good news. This is the gospel that you're being, uh, by which you're being saved if you hold fast. And then he says, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he, was ra- that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, all of this in accordance with the Scripture. And then listen to what he says. He wa- wants us to understand how important it is to believe that there was a past resurrection and the confidence that we can have in this past resurrection. And so he draws our attention to these witnesses to the resurrection. He says in verse 4, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, he appeared to the twelve. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And he appeared to James and to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared also to me. Paul wants the, the believers to have confidence in this, 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 this resurrection, and he, believe, he begins by helping them understand and remember the witnesses there are to Christ's resurrection. Now, it's interesting, what's happening here at the, Corinth, the, the church in Corinth is that the false teachers are, and Paul's opponents are trying to convince them that they don't have a resurrection. They're not really attacking Jesus' resurrection because there are so many witnesses to the resurrection that are still alive whenever Paul writes this. There are perhaps some 500 people who could stand up and say, look, 
I know that Jesus Christ rose from the dead because after he was crucified, buried, I saw him later. I was there in the upper room, or I was there whenever he appeared to the people elsewhere in the Galilean region. I saw the resurrected Lord. And so there is a confidence that Paul's readers in 1 Corinthians have about Christ's resurrection. The apostles, think about the transformation that took place in their lives because of the resurrection. They lived, after the resurrection, they lived lives that were radically different than the life they lived before Christ rose from the dead. And so, as Paul is talking to these believers in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, look, we know there was a past resurrection. In fact, let me, let me just read you what John does with the resurrection, the gospel of John. Let me read the resurrection story as John gives it in, in John chapter 20. And listen to how John talks about this past resurrection and what he wants people to do as a result of it. John chapter 20, uh, John writes, he's, he's talking about the first day of the week in verse 1. Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and that's, that's John, by the way. And they were going toward the tomb, and both of them were running together. The other disciple, that's John again, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. The other disciple who'd reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. He believed that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And throughout the rest of this chapter, he He draws our attention to people believing in Jesus' resurrection. Mary Magdalene sees Jesus risen from the dead. Jesus appears to the disciples. And then we see Jesus and Thomas. Thomas doubts that Jesus has really risen from the dead. He wasn't in the upper room with them at the time. And then verse 26 says, Eight days later his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And the doors were locked, and Jesus came in and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand. See my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said, If you believe because you've seen me, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then John writes this. This is why he wrote the Gospel of John, he says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but... These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that is the promise to every single person who is in here this morning. There are few events of antiquity that are better attested than Jesus' resurrection. As Paul writes these words in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, look, if you don't believe me, you can talk to 500 other people and look at these people and and see how they used to live and then see what happened after Jesus Christ rose from the dead and, and now look at how they're living. These are people who are willing to die for a message that 
that, it, that they would know is not true if it wasn't true. Paul says, look, I want to talk to you, Paul says, about a future resurrection. And how do you know that there's a future resurrection? Well, it begins because we know there was a past resurrection. Okay. Because there was a past resurrection, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we can have confidence, Paul says, that there's a future resurrection. That's the second thing I want us to see. We can have confidence that there will be a future resurrection. That's what Paul spends the next part of his time talking about there in 1 Corinthians 15. Because of Christ, Paul tells us as, we, as he goes through 1 Corinthians 15, uh, Christ is kind of like what he calls a first fruit. During the harvest, the, the Jewish people would have this, this first harvest, and their, their first harvest would be the first fruits, the first things they, they took out of the ground, the first produce from the harvest. And they would take the, the, some of the produce from the first fruits, and they would offer that as, a, as an offering to the Lord. And as they did that, they were saying, look, we believe that there are going to be additional harvests that take place from this, this, this main harvest, additional crops that come from this harvest. And so the, the first fruits is our, our confidence that the harvest is coming, and we're offering that to you, Lord. So Paul, Paul makes this argument in 1 Corinthians 15. He says in verse 20, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Verse 22, as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming, those who belong to Christ. Christ's resurrection in the past is a first fruit. It's this, this initial harvest from the, this, this overall harvest that's going to take place. And those of us who believed in Jesus Christ are going to be part of this, this future resurrection. Paul describes this future resurrection that those who have fallen asleep in Christ are going to be a part of in 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who do not have hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Because there is a past resurrection, we have confidence that there's going to be a future resurrection. And it has to be this way, right? There are radical things that need to take place to our bodies and, and who we are in order to enter into eternity. To be a part of, of God's eternal kingdom. Paul talks about a, a lot of these things here in 1 Corinthians 15. Look, look down at the text there and, and let me just draw your attention to a couple the first thing we see about these, these new bodies that you and I are going to have is that they're, they're going to be bodies that are imperishable. He says in, in verse 50, the, the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. He talks about how the dead will be raised imperishable in verse 52. Uh, right now, you and I have bodies that are, that are in the process of decaying. They can't last forever. We get 
cuts and bruises and, and we get diseases and, and there's a shelf life to our bodies. These bodies that we have right now are perishable. And the first, one of the first things we think about as we think about future bodies that we're going to have as we enter into eternity is that they're imperishable bodies. They're bodies that can't get sick. They're bodies that can't grow old. They're bodies that can't simply wear out. And depending upon what stage of your own body's shelf life you're in, that reality, that, that, that eventuality seems more or less real, Right? Our bodies, first of all, in the future, are going to be imperishable. Secondly, another thing to think about these future bodies is they're going to have beauty. These bodies are going to have beauty. You say, Daniel, I'm already so beautiful. It's hard for me to imagine being more beautiful. Believe it. Okay? And you're not that beautiful. <laughs> We all have imperfections and, and things about our bodies that you say, boy, this, this, this just seems off. And, and uh, there's going to be a, a beauty to our bodies. He says that these new bodies are raised in glory and that our current bodies have dishonor. So I don't know exactly how they're going to look. And Daniel talks about this as well in Daniel chapter 12. There's going to be a, a, being raised in glory. There's, there's going to be some sort of beauty. I think Daniel even uses the word uh, shine, like this, 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 uh, this certain type of beauty these bodies are going to have. And, and, and that's, that's going to last into eternity. So our new bodies are going to be imperishable. They're going to be beautiful. And they're going to have something Paul calls power. Verse 43 of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, um, the body's sown in, in dishonor, it's raised in glory, it's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's raised in power. What does that mean? I'm not totally sure. But it has something to do with our current body's inability to enjoy the kingdom that God is preparing for us. Now, some of this is just Daniel's speculation, and so I'm just thinking about this. I'm trying to think biblically about it, and I'm not sure how much of what I'm saying is actually what it's going to be. Bottom line, biblically, it's going to have power. I don't know exactly how or why, but here are some thoughts I have. There was a moment where God created the universe and, and all the things that are in the universe. And there was a time where most secular scientists would say the, the universe didn't have a beginning, it's, it's eternal. Now everyone agree, most everyone agrees that there was some moment of beginning of the universe, okay? And that moment when the universe began is whenever time began, the, the idea of a succession of events, and we know there's going to be a time when the universe comes to an end. Everyone agrees with that as well. And there's going to be a time when the universe comes to an end. And then there's going to be, we believe, I, I believe that Scripture teaches a new heaven and new earth, new universe. And so then there's going to be eternity. Now, before time began, whatever that was, uh, you can't call it time because time wasn't there. But I'm just going to use the word time because I don't know what else to put there. In that time before time, those those. That, that reality before time began, God existed. And God existed before time began for an infinite amount of whatever you want to call it. There was no, 
no beginning. So God existed for an infinite amount of time. But not time. Whatever. That's a lot of something. As hard as it is for me to get my mind around the idea of existing for eternity, God's already done that thing. He's already existed forever and continues to exist forever. Now, in that time before time, he's had an infinite ability to fashion this universe and whatever comes after it. What I'm getting at is this. Sometimes I've had this this conception that, boy, um, eternity is a long time, and I know the universe is big, but you know, eventually you can get around it, and 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 then what? You haven't even started. That sounds like eventually get boring, right? Well, here's the deal: God has had an infinite amount of time to prepare this next age that's coming, and I believe that He has created uh, in His in His infinite amount. He's had as much time as we're going to have already, <laughs> and in that. Uh, he is, he's, he, so what I'm saying is he has a head start. And he's had this ability to, to create and fashion and dream and design the universe that you and I and the kingdom that you and I are going to inherit. In other words, I don't think we're ever going to get to the end. I know we're not going to get to the, the end of whatever it is that God has planned. He's got universe upon universe. And, and even uh, you know, as, as you talk to to. Uh, physicists and, and guys like that that are thinking quantum physics and, and, and the shapes of the universes and stuff, there could be an infinite number of universes. And How can we get to the end of that? We can't. But right now, in my current body, I'm not equipped to begin exploring the universes and the kingdom that God has prepared. I need a body that can make it past Mars, right? And right now, in my finite being, I don't even have a body that has a brain capable of comprehending the intricacies of this universe, much less the universe to come, or or universes to come. So this body that I'm going to inherit is going to be imperishable. It's going to be more beautiful than I am now. It's going to be powerful. And then here's the key, too. This new body that I'm going to inherit is going to be spiritual. So, well, Daniel, is going to be spiritual and not physical? No, it's going to be physical, but it's going to be spiritual as well. Paul says, as he describes this body in verse 44, it says, it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. You know, just like a, a caterpillar, and it's, it's not a perfect analogy, but just like this caterpillar has to totally dissolve and become this blob and, and a new creature can emerge. This current body that I have right now, not only can I not comprehend the vastness of, of God's universe, I cannot live in this current body in perfect obedience to God. And what good would it be to me if I had a powerful body that was imperishable and I could live for eternity, but all I would do is live in in eternal disobedience to God? That would be miserable. And so I'm going to receive a new body that's, that's beautiful and powerful, that won't die, that's imperishable, 
and spiritual where I can live in perfect fellowship with God and explore the vastness of his kingdom and participate in his kingdom plans in perfect obedience. Okay. Sound pretty good? Because there was a past resurrection, I believe that that's coming. And Paul says in verse 58, because he's been saying this is the whole chapter 15, look, there's a past resurrection. That means there's going to be a future resurrection. Future resurrection, here's what's going to happen with your body. Now here's here's the payoff. Here's the culmination in verse 58. Here's the deal. That transforms our lives in the present. That's the last thing I want us to consider together this morning. He says this in verse 58. Because of all this stuff I've been saying, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There's there's two things I want you to see here, Two, two, two points of application as we think about this, as we think about this future resurrection. Paul's idea here is that Look, there's, there's, there's something coming in the future, and, and as you think about it and, and, and uh, meditate and, and ponder that, that should, that should influence you presently. I was having that conversation with a really good friend a few weeks ago. We were talking about, you know, what does this do now? Whenever I go on a trip and stay in a hotel, stay in a hotel room, I don't, I'm a, I'm a decent guy, you know, I don't, I don't trash the hotel room, uh, you know, I, I try to keep it nice, I want to live in a pleasant place, but I'm also not buying furniture for it, right? I don't know, I don't go in a hotel room and say, you know what, Whitney, let's go get some paint. I know we had some other plans, we're going on vacation and stuff, but I, I really think we could do some good things with this room. We're going to take out that wall, and we're going to go buy some paint, and we're going to, baby blue is what I'm thinking, kind of robin blue here, and then, uh, yeah, so let's, let's get to work. Let's go buy, some, let's, let's make this place look nice. Okay. I don't do that. Why? This is a temporary place. I know I'm going home. As I think about my life here and think about what waits me in the future, it, it affects what I do in the present. Here's, here's two areas that I want to encourage you, two ways in which you need to be transformed as you think about the resurrection. Number one, you need to be transformed by standing firm. Paul says uh, you, need to, you need to be steadfast. You need to be immovable. And the idea here is this— um, You have made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ if you have placed your faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And because you have placed your faith in Christ, there needs to be some steadfastness to you. And for many of us, there are things that come into our life that that try to, um, tempt might be the wrong word here, that, that, that in some ways entice us off that, that commitment we've made. So we've, we've said, okay, I'm, I'm standing firm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to place my faith and my trust is in Christ. And then there's this, this uh, opportunity to advance in our career, and it means making some decisions that are contrary to the commitment we've made. Like, well, okay, I guess I'm going to kind of not stand firm. 
Or we get so, uh, we've made this commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. We say, okay, my hope is in, my hope is in Jesus, and my, my trust is in him, and I'm going to worship him alone. And, and then we begin to think about these perishable bodies, and we say, oh man, I, I really love this decaying body. I think I'm going to worship this body. I'm going to worship it through maybe gluttony. Or I'm going to worship this, this, this body through, uh, through lust. And I'm going to lust after other decaying bodies that are rotting away. Or I'm going to, to um, engage in trying to make this, 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 this body as, as great as possible. And I'm going to be consumed with, with just loving this body and working out and doing all this stuff. And, and it causes us to, to be moved from that commitment that we've made to God. And Paul says, look, because there's a future resurrection and you believe that, therefore stand firm. Don't waver. Be immovable. Here's the second thing. <clears throat> second way in which we need to be transformed. We need to be transformed by laboring with confidence. So we're transformed by standing firm and we're transformed by, by laboring with confidence. Listen to how Paul describes it. He says, you're steadfast, you're immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I was reading a, actually I was watching an um, interview with an author. He wrote a book called The Upside of Irrationality. He tells about this experiment he conducted with some people. He, he had two groups. And both groups were told that they were to build Lego robots. And they were trying to see how many Lego robots these groups would build. And so they'd give them the Legos and they'd build little robots. And they received, I think, um, like a little little amount of money per robot they built. Three bucks the first one. And then it decreased. And they were trying to see how many Lego robots will these two groups build. Now, that was the task that each group was given. But there was a twist. The first group was told, build the robots, and so they'd build a robot, and they'd take the robot, and they'd put it to the side, and they'd go, and they'd build a second robot, individuals would come, and they'd put this next robot there on the desk or wherever, and, and then after all the robots had been built, they disassembled them. Now, with the second group, a person would bring up the little Lego robot they'd built, they'd get the Legos for their next robot, and they'd go, and they'd sit down, and as they were building that second robot, they would disassemble the first robot they'd built in front of them. So they'd see them up there destroying what they'd just created. They said something really interesting happened. With the first group, they found that how many Lego robots you built was based on how much you loved Legos. So if you loved Legos a lot, you built a lot of robots. And they generally felt pretty good about what they had done. But the second group the second group stopped really quickly. And they were very upset. And there was no correlation between how much they love Legos and how many robots they built. They just got very discouraged and, and stopped pretty quickly because they knew that what they were doing was absolutely futile. As we think about our lives, what God has called each of us to, God has given us the ability to live not just for this moment, but for eternity. God has given us the ability to look into the future, into eternity, and say, look, this is what's coming. And because this is what's coming, 
this is what I can do right now. And so the idea of a future resurrection, a, a body that's, that's come in the future that's not this body, and, and the ability to, to live in complete obedience to, to God in the future, that has radical impact on my, my current life. In fact, I would argue this, over and over and over again in life, you and I come across situations in which uh, we come to this realization, if the resurrection is true, if the resurrection is true, I should live this way, and yet, if the resurrection is not true, I should live this way. That happens on a moment-by-moment basis in our life. If the resurrection is true, we should live one way. If the resurrection is untrue, you and I should live a different way. You're a wife in a marriage situation in which there's lots of conflict between you and your husband, and, and you come to a passage like First Peter 2, and he describes how you're, how you're supposed to live, and, and if the resurrection is true, you should live one way. If the resurrection is not true, you should live another. You're in a situation at work where your, your co-workers are stabbing you in the back, and, and you've tried to be a, a nice person to them, and, and if the resurrection is true then none of this stuff matters anyway in the, in the sense of, of who gets what promotion or how much you're making and all those sorts of things. But if this is all we got, if, 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 if all I have is in this life is the opportunity to accumulate material possessions, then I should live a much different way. If the resurrection is true while I'm at school, around my friends, then then I, I should live one way around these, these, these friends that I have. If the resurrection is not true, I should live another way. Over and over again, you and I come to moments in life where we have to make decisions, and whether or not the resurrection is true becomes, I, I would argue, the central question we should ask ourselves in determining how we should live. If there was a past resurrection, and Jesus Christ rose from the dead, it changes everything, doesn't it? I told you there are two questions I kind of wanted you to be mulling over as we looked at this passage this morning in verse 58 as, as Paul kind of brings this whole conversation to a head. How, how can you know that there is a future resurrection? And I would argue it, it begins with, with what you do with the person Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus Christ came and, and lived a perfect life and died and for you on the cross in your place and rose from the dead. I do. I believe that the Holy Spirit speaks that message of truth from God's Word, and I believe that, that history backs it up. And I encourage you this morning, if you've never come to the place in your life where you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you would do so this morning. I'd love to talk with you after the church. Others would love to talk with you about your relationship with the Lord if that's something you would desire to do today. And if it's true... If it's true that there's been a past resurrection, maybe you already believe that there will be a future resurrection. My encouragement to you would be to look at God's Word and allow God to transform your present as you think about this future and eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the good news of your Son, Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity we have to participate in this coming resurrection. Lord, give us your Give us your special grace. Lord, for those of us who may not have placed our faith in your son Jesus, please be working within our hearts to, to draw us toward you. Help us to, to just divinely work within our hearts, soften the hardness. Lord, that we know there's hardness there that, that, that prevents us from, from
from rightly seeing you and recognizing you, please, please tear that away. Please tear that away. And Father, we know that for others of us, as we've made that commitment to you, our consistency is, is not what we would desire it to be. Lord, help us to think about these new bodies you have prepared for us. And as we think about this, this new body and this resurrection and living with you forever, help it to, to transform into to present steadfastness and present obedience as we continue to work in you, knowing that our labor is not in vain. That you have promised us the joy of, of, of eternity with you. We love you, and we pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen.